0: If you have a Bible, please open uh, to Mark chapter 4, and we're going to read verse 35 to the end of the chapter. And if you would, would you stand? We stand in recognition that this is the inspired, authoritative, and inerrant word of God, Father, we ask for your assistance, for, Lord, only you can penetrate our hearts, only you can lift uh, the darkness in our minds, make us uh, soft and not stubborn, we pray, uh, receptive and not resistant, for we ask in Christ's name, Amen. amen. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was, and other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, "'Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing?' I identify with uh, Max Lucado's uh, word picture, and perhaps you will as well. He writes, there is a window in your heart through which you can see God. Once upon a time, that window was clear. Uh, Your view of God was crisp. You could see God as vividly as you might see a valley uh, or a gentle hillside. The glass was clean, the pane unbroken. You knew God. How he worked, you know what he wanted of you, there were no surprises, nothing unexpected. And then suddenly the window cracked, a pebble broke the window, a pebble of uh, pain, it mistled into it and it shattered it, and suddenly God was not easy to see. The view that had once been so crisp had uh, changed, it was hard to see him uh, through the pain, uh, God wouldn't allow something like that to happen to you, would he? The pebble striking the glass became a reference point before, for you. There was before the pain and then life after uh, the pain. God was harder to see. He seemed at times distant, unpredictable. Now, maybe those words don't describe your experience. Some people seem to go through life and never have that experience. But most people do. And even if it, that's not been your experience, I would encourage you to listen uh, closely. You may need what's here someday. The reason that's true is because most of us uh, have a way of completing this sentence. If God is God, then Fill in the blank. It may not be written down, but it's real. Call it an agenda. Call it a divine job description. Each of us has definite expectations of what God should do. If God is God, then I won't have to face cancer. I won't experience unemployment. I won't bury my child. My marriage won't fail. My children won't reject My faith or me, my church will not be divided. When these expectations go unmet, doubts begin to surface. This is exactly the experience the disciples have. The pebble comes in the form of a storm. The glass shatters and they demand to know. Teacher, don't you care that we are perishing? And like them, when the window shatters in our lives, we wonder... Christ, don't you care? We doubt that Christ cares or that he will act. Now, this text is full of good news uh, for us. So let's enter the story. It was the end of the day. It was the end of the day that we just read last week where Jesus has spent the day teaching in parables. Parables. Crowds have gathered, and no doubt before he taught, there were many people seeking healings and deliverances from him. For Jesus, it was a day heavy with the demands of caring for the crowds, the demands of teaching and concern for his closest disciples. Alone with them, he amplifies and explains, well, the points they didn't grasp. He dug down deep, and he expended the reserves of his energy. And at the end of this exhausting, draining, demanding day, Jesus tells the disciples to launch out in the boat, and he falls into a deep sleep. Now, the details are vivid. The precise statement of time, the expression just as he was, which which means he didn't get back uh, on shore. He just stayed in uh, the boat the mention of other boats that play no uh, role further in the story, the cushion on which Jesus uh, slept, the water filling the boat, the disciples' uh, rude uh, rebuke of Jesus, and Jesus in turn sharp words to them and all points to an eyewitness account. Mark is relating to us Peter's recollection of these Events. This is not a fable. It wasn't something cleverly invented. No, it was the experience of Peter the Apostle. Now, I grew up on the water, actually just a few miles north of here on the Chesapeake uh, Bay, and our home was, well, about 150 feet from a marina. And it wasn't uncommon to see the flags that uh, flew that announced small craft warnings or even sometimes gale force uh, winds. And you may wonder, well, why did the disciples uh, set out if they could see there was gathering storm clouds? Well, there were none to see. The Sea of Galilee is 700 feet below sea level. It's surrounded uh, by uh, mountains, and sudden uh, strong winds frequently come upon uh, the lake. That happens normally. The winds fall uh, off the cliff, down into the sea, and the waves can go from a perfect calm uh, to the violence of a hurricane. And such a storm struck the wind, drove the waves over the side of the boat, and at first the disciples uh, bailed, but the experienced fishermen who'd lived their lives on that uh, sea knew that they were in great Danger. They're helpless, they're terrified, and so they awaken Jesus and speak the way people do when they're in a panic. Teacher, don't you care if we drown? Don't you care? Those words reveal the disciples' fear and their doubts. Now, fear is exactly what we feel when we're helpless in the face of danger. The problem is not that we experience fear. The Apostle Paul says of his own experience, conflicts without and fears within. The problem is what you do as a result of your fear. Fear can distort how we see things. It narrows our vision. It often results in our imagining the worst possible outcomes, It can paralyze us so we don't act when we should. And it can cause us to lose our heads so that we react. Fear has a way of subtracting 50 IQ points. (laughs) Just like that. Fear is the enemy of faith. It raises questions that eat at trust. Does God care? Is he detached? Is he above it all? Does it matter to him what's happening? Fears demand actions. Do something now. And that's precisely what the disciples want from Jesus as they awaken him. They expect Jesus to act. Now, here's the very crux of discipleship. They want him to act, and he wants them to trust him. They want him to act, and he wants them to trust him. His very presence with them was, in fact, all that they needed. Now, there's a deep lesson uh, for us in this. It should be enough that we're with Jesus, whether life sees a running smooth or not. It's enough that Christ is with us. But Jesus is asleep and the storm is violent, and the boat is sinking. Yet we must not judge by appearances. We must not judge his care for us by the roughness of the seas. Jesus rebukes them for this conclusion when they've allowed their fears to draw them to this place. He says, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? Now, the humanity of Jesus is on display here in his physical exhaustion. In fact, this is the only place in any of the Gospels we're told that Jesus sleeps. It's an an exhaustion so deep that he sleeps while a terrible storm buffets the boat. Jesus' sleep reflects his trust of God. The Old Testament puts it this way. In peace I will both lie down and sleep, for you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. Jesus is completely safe. He's completely uh, entrusted himself to God, and so he sleeps. And Jesus' humanity here is a uh, clue as to how we have to face threatening appearances. Here's what I mean. God became truly human in the person of Jesus, fully human. He did this so he might redeem us uh, through his death. And the cross teaches us this, that we must not judge God's care or involvement by the way things seem to us. On the cross, uh, Jesus seems utterly helpless and the situation hopeless. The crowd uh, jeers him, expecting God to do something to rescue him. Yet Jesus cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? On the cross, as Jesus hangs there, God seems utterly absent. We don't perceive him as present, but he was. What seems like God's absence is shown in the resurrection to have been, in fact, his hidden presence. God was active, behind the scenes, working in secret. Now, We often experience many frightening, painful experiences the way uh, the disciples experienced Good Friday. And we conclude that God is absent or uncaring or unwilling to act. But God's there. Christ is always with us. And we must uh, learn to doubt our doubts. Faith learns to distrust experience. Now, the boat in that storm was at the center of God's plan for the world. God's plan for the world, right there in the boat. Each life in that boat was precious, even though it didn't seem to them at the moment. And each of you who is united by faith to Jesus Christ are equally precious. In fact, the early church, uh, as it read this story, identified the disciples in the boat as the church itself. The church and every church is precious to Christ. We're in the center of God's plan. All things belong to God, all things in history, your daily life, all of it is being ordered with your best in mind. Paul puts it this way in the letter to the Ephesians. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be to the praise of his glory. Everything, give that word its full weight. Everything that happens, happens in conformity with his purpose to the praise of his glory in the lives of those who hope in Christ. And Paul, later in the letter, prays that our eyes might be open to actually uh, see this when he says, I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of of God. Now, to Him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to the power that is at work within us, to Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations, forever and ever. Amen. You see, everything in human history and everything in your personal story is ordered around God's uh, plan uh, to redeem to undo uh, what happened through Adam's disobedience. Jesus cares. He's promised always to be with us to the very end of time when we see, will see him face to face. Christ is with you whether you see it or not, whether you feel it or not. You have to fight for faith in the midst of the storms. Just how do you do that? Well, the first thing is to actually recognize that you need a fight. You cannot just be passive in the midst of the storm. That means you need to be attentive to what's actually happening in your heart and mind, how they drift into fear and unbelief. And one of the skills that disciples must develop is to doubt their doubts. To recall, you do this by recalling the fundamental truths that God has revealed about himself in Scripture, that he is faithful and that his loving kindness endures forever. And in doubting your doubts, uh, you begin to see by faith that the hidden God is with you in the midst of these storms. We need to redirect our uh, hearts Uh, from the predictions that are made by our fears and from the vice of ruminating uh, uh, on what we cannot control and think on whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, uh, pure, lovely, commendable, and excellent. Those things that are worthy of praise. And if we do these things, the God of peace will be with us. That's from the end of the letter to the Philippians. What happens next when Jesus is awake is hard to take in. Jesus rebukes the storm. He doesn't pray, oh God, calm the storm. No, he commands it, peace be still, and the winds stop, and the sea is utterly calm. It wasn't that the storm broke up gradually, and gradually the waves And the wind died down. No, that's not what happened. Instantly, immediately, the wind and the waves obey. And the fishermen have never experienced anything like this. And they are filled with greater fear. That's what the text says. Greater fear when Jesus stops the storm than the fear that they had that they were going to lose their lives. In the storm. The disciples ask, Who is this? Now, these are all Jewish men. They were raised in the synagogue. They heard the scriptures uh, every Saturday read to them, and they undoubtedly knew the words of Psalm 107, which reads in part, Speaking of other men on the sea, they saw the works of the Lord, his wonderful deeds in the deep, for he spoke and stirred up a tempest that lifted high the waters. They reeled and staggered like drunkards, meaning on their boats. Uh, They were at their wits' end. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he brought them out of distress. He stilled the storm to a whisper, and the waves were hushed. And they were glad when it grew calm, and he guided them to their desired haven. The Lord who created the seas, he commands the storms. He can send them, and he can end them. But they can't put all this together. To them, Jesus is just a man. He walks, he eats, he drinks, he gets tired, and he sleeps, just like they do. And at this point, they cannot consider the possibility that he's the God-man. That, in fact, God has become a uh, human Jesus is exercising God's authority directly. He doesn't ask God to act. He speaks as the Creator, as the sovereign one who controls all things, including the sea. You say the Creator is in the back of the boat asleep. They just can't put that together. Now, there are other storms in our lives that are just as dangerous as the sea was that day. Storms we don't fear as we should. There is the storm of the chaos that uh, we create by uh, living life in our own ways and rejecting God in His. The Bible calls this sin, the hostile powers of sin and guilt and shame, of death and Satan, all of them threaten to in- destroy us for eternity. And Mark wants us to make this connection. The two words that Jesus uses to silence the storm are the same words he uses consistently to speak to the demons. Jesus is Lord over all these as well. In his death, he's atoned for sin and he's conquered uh, Satan, all the dark forces, evil forces, and death. He's both creator and redeemer. He's Lord over all things. All things are upheld by his word. All that is hostile is restrained by his power. Jesus asked, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? Why are you so afraid? Jesus is summoning them and us to faith. Not to some abstract principle, or power and faith, but into God's saving uh, power, which is uh, present in Jesus and fully released through him. Have you turned to him for protection from these spiritual storms? Have you turned to him for mercy for the wrong that you have done? These disciples don't yet have the kind of faith that they need. There's a sting in their words. Do you feel it? Well, I do. How is your faith? Is it maturing? Is it mature? Psalm 50 reads, Call upon me in the day of trouble, and I will deliver you, and you will honor me. We need to be mature and not simplistic about the promise of protection made here. God's intentions in our troubles are not mechanical, they're personal. We cannot control him, he is not our servant, he's our father. And because he has an array of purposes in the things that he allows to come into our lives, or if you can bear it, that he sends into our uh, lives. Not all of which do we understand, we don't understand all his purposes. And so we can't predict his actions. But we can be confident that he will do everything necessary to achieve our highest good. What this means can be seen in the life of Menno Simons. Now, Menno Simons lived in the Netherlands during the time of the Reformation when the Netherlands were ruled by Catholic kings. Menno Simons uh, began to gather Protestants in secret illegal meetings. And uh, when the authorities found out about one such uh, group, uh, they arrested the mother of a family of uh, four and imprisoned her. Her son Adrian escaped, and the elders decided it was in Adrian's best interest to actually travel in the company of Menno uh, Simons. While there in Amsterdam... uh, Adrian uh, one day saw a a notice that there was a reward of 100 guilders for anyone who could help uh, lead to the capture of Menno uh, Simons and any crime that their family committed would be pardoned. Adrian uh, didn't notice the old woman in whose home he was staying, but she could uh, see as he pulled out this Uh, Notice and was looking at it, she could uh, discern just what it was he was thinking because this boy surely wanted his mother free from jail. And she said uh, to him, You can't change God's timing. God will protect uh, Menno until the day comes for him to go to glory. Uh, You can't make it happen. No one can keep him on earth any longer than God this decrees. All you can do is crush your soul in betrayal. Well, the boy tried to take that in. She could see he really didn't grasp what he uh, was being told. And so she said, let me tell you about the story of my own arrest and imprisonment. I was arrested along with a woman named Elizabeth and they put us in separate cells and they told me that the next day I would be examined if need be by torture. I knew that I couldn't stand up uh, to that and I greatly feared that I would betray uh, other uh, followers of Christ in the city. And so I began uh, to pray earnestly that God might uh, deliver uh, me that somehow uh, he would provide a way of escape and then suddenly as I was praying I heard a voice calling me I looked around in my little cell there was no one uh, there and then I heard the voice call again and then it said uh, to me "Hedwick, I tell you come out and this time when I looked up the door of my cell was open And as I came to each door, it was open, and I found myself out in the street. And she turned to Adrian and said, well, what do you think of that story? And he said, well, maybe you dreamed it. And she said, not hardly. It is a matter of record in the courthouse of Lee Warden that I was arrested, thrown into prison, and escaped. I'm here today. But poor Elizabeth was tortured severely and then drowned. What do you make of that? Well, you just can't get off with a shrug. And he said, well, I guess God delivered you. That's right. And that's what I'm trying to tell you. When Menno's time comes, God will take him. And before then, neither man nor even the emperor himself can touch him. God will protect him. Adrian, shortly thereafter, professed faith, and his mother uh, died as a faithful martyr. We have nothing to fear in the face of pain and loss and danger, for God won't allow us to lose anything that's for our ultimate good. When the next storm appears in your life, are you ready? Will you trust Him? I want to close by posing just a couple of diagnostic questions for you. Do you have a list of expectations about God that set you up to doubt? Have you embraced the premise that you cannot control God? Have you confronted your cynicism about his love and care? And can you rest in this truth, that God will fulfill all his purposes, everything good in your life? Let's pray. Great Lord, increase our faith. Grant, O Lord, that we ourselves would hear these words of Jesus, that we'd receive this good news today. For we pray in Christ's name. Amen.